It is January the 1st. It's Sunday, 2023. And uh, do you remember me telling you the story about my mustache breaking off in 1977 when I was at university? Yes, I do. So in 1976-77, especially in 77, it was cold. And I remember vividly reading about how we were having global cooling in the next ice age was coming. And I knew then and there that I was out of Wisconsin. I was heading back either to Texas, South Carolina, Georgia, which I eliminated really quickly, or Florida, which is where I went. And uh, the, the articles were amazing. They were saying, you know, unprecedented cold. The next uh, ice age is coming, the mini ice age, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I bring it to your attention because we just got done with that nasty cold snap. Today, I've been outside in my T-shirt doing some yard work. And um, whatever happened to that big Texas freeze at everything in Texas because of this was going to fail like it did last time. Instead, we had problems in New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And I want to say something I think was really interesting. A lot of people, not, not a lot, you know, 30 people died in their cars and shoveling snow. And like, like, it was, like those people weren't going to die anyways. I mean, the number of people, that hell, that many people were shot and killed in Chicago last week. But here's the thing. They, all the newscasts were calling it the blizzard of the century, the cold snap of the century. And I thought we were supposed to have global warming. Then it was global cooling or global what change. But you know how many, you know the problem was? People that froze in their cars a fair number of them were in electric vehicles. Shocker. <laughs> and electric vehicles, according to MIT, get about 55, 58% of their charge when the temperature's around 5 degrees. So, yeah, they were going to shelters and other things, low batteries, and it went, poop, 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 no heat, and died. But that's not making the news, but that's what happened to a few people. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think in general, you know, the climate change, global warming stuff, you know, anybody who denies that there's climate change is a moron because we have change of seasons year to year that varies. There's, there's a certain amount of variance that happens in all of these things. And, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, if you have an electric vehicle up North and you have not prepared for the simple reality that especially lithium, uh, batteries, Lithium-ion batteries do not have the same kind of uh, endurance in the cold, then I think you're probably barking up the wrong tree. We have, uh, I don't know, anybody anybody who's used electronics outdoors in the cold knows this. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, in uh, the city of New York, they went to a bunch of electric vehicles, including snow plows, garbage trucks, the things they needed, and they, uh, they conked out. <laughs> well, that's another thing that, you know, People talk about, oh, well, let's use, let's electrify everything. Okay, sure. You know, use batteries, all that stuff. That Let's let's take the, you know, the details of that and put it aside uh, as far as, you know, the manufacturing and the actual environmental impact and all these things. And just take them at face value. Did anybody consider the cold weather problem? Because that, that's the thing I've, I've always thought about. You know, Florida is fine, you know, most of the time, you know, what, 360 days out of the year, it's going to be perfectly fine to use batteries because it's just, it's moderate temperature or it's hot. Yep. Um, you know, if anything, it's too hot because then you have to run AC and then, you know, that's a, a fairly inefficient process by comparison to uh, not needing it in general. But 
yeah, I mean, in California, places like that, it's it's super efficient because, you know, you don't really even need AC most of the time. You Pretty moderate temperatures everywhere you go. But yeah, I mean, there's a reason you do need, you do need your, you do need your alternator every now and then to do certain things for you. Or in the case of uh, cold weather, that engine actually getting hot, getting up there around 200 degrees Fahrenheit is actually a useful thing. I don't know if most people actually understand how heat in most cars is generated. It's generated off of the heat of the engine. <laughs> there's not a, there's not an electric heater in there that the alternator runs. It's just the heat of the engine. Yeah, batteries and heat. I had a very good friend of mine who did not know this. The uh, batteries in the remote were low. And uh, before the batteries could be changed, I said, well, just put them in your hand and warm them up. And she said, what do you mean? I said, oh, you had, it's one of those things that you missed in school. And I just put them out, put them in my hand and held them for oh, 30 seconds to a minute and put them back in. And guess what? They worked. And so I explained the thermodynamics of that. But the other thing is the Federal Highway Administration is beginning to actually talk, as well as the Wall Street Journal, about this whole carbon net zero. It's not necessarily working out. And I, I think it's kind of interesting. Possible. Yeah. That's the other thing that's annoying is, is the, the people who, who they want to do the, oh, we no net carbon, whatever. Uh, just take a Tesla since it's, you know, but there's, a, there's tons of electric vehicles now, different models and makes out there now. Um, the, the problem is, is there's no way to actually make a carbon neutral car. It's just not possible. All it is, is it's, you know, it's just this, the only, the only thing that comes to mind is it's just this bougie kind of idea of, it's no different than the people who, who make the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, I guess they make fun of the the city nimbies, not in my backyard. So they'll they'll take the crime ridden population and they'll just move them to another area of the, t- of the city. You know, obviously, you know, people places in Tampa they've been doing this for three decades to make it a a gem in the state of Florida. But you know, Tampa, as you have lots of personal experience, had a lot of rough areas, and the city has very methodically, uh, let's just say organize them somewhere else to other places, you know, creating public housing, other places, condemning and moving certain things and and, and gentrifying areas. You know, people, some people have a lot of criticism with that. You know, obviously it's kind of obvious what the problem with that is. All it does is just move it somewhere else. But, you know, that's the same thing with electric vehicles. Uh, All they're doing, they're not solving the problem. They're just moving it somewhere else. They're moving the carbon output somewhere else. So, yeah, all, all this oil, all the mining, all the disgusting, polluting uh, problems that your car manufacturing has, um, electric car manufacturing being worse than most uh, regular vehicles, uh, regular gasoline vehicles, um, all it does is just moves it somewhere else. It just puts it over in Asia or you know, down in Mexico or someplace where you know, you're not going to see the pollution. So for you, it's like, yeah, you get a completed car, it has you know, very minimal carbon impact on the environment and all that stuff. Oh, it's great. But what about, are we not in the same system? I mean, this is no different than, uh, you know, it's like having a, <laughs> it's like Marin County used two years ago. Oh, we, we fill, we sort our trash. Oh, here's our recyclables and all this stuff. And they just would dump it in the same place because yep. we didn't have a recycling place. <laughs> it's just, we're all in the same system. You know the pollution is. Uh, you may not see it right now, but you're. It's gonna. You're gonna interact with it later. To me, it's just. It's very short-sighted and very dumb. Um, whereas you know, with with regular gasoline vehicles, yeah, there's a ton of pollution in the manufacture of them. 
but as far as the ongoing pollution, you know, other than your tires, your oil and your gas, uh, there's really not a lot. And the reality is, is those three items have been, have been getting very, very, very efficient as far as their impact on the environment over the past 60, 70 years. They well, are dramatically less uh, toxic to the environment. Well, know? there are vehicles on the road that were made in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. There are people, we had a, a neighbor years ago who drove a really old vehicle, and we used to laugh about it, but the vehicle was paid for. Um, maybe it wasn't the most uh, environmentally uh, sensitive compared to what uh, the Karens want out there. But when you take into consideration the cost of recycling, melting the thing down, making all of it, uh, I would say the guy is uh, an environmentalist. Well, yeah, I mean, when you look at the impact from manufacturing, I think that's 90-plus percent of it always. Yeah, so, and, and you got to go from point A to Z. <laughs> you can't just say, well, on QRST, we were very, very uh, sensitive and blah, blah. No, you got to go for the whole nine yards. Uh, being something about being disingenuous, I had an opportunity to stumble on to Australia Sky News. Oh, my gosh. Did you, uh, did you stumble on that by chance? What about it? Okay, so he had this guy and this gal talking about how how horrible Americans were because they were making fun. I haven't seen this. I can't find it. But they were saying that they found on social media, but neither one of them could cite the source. And they were saying that somebody in Australia said they saw on social media in the U.S. where somebody froze and was on the side of the road on a um, either in a car, on the side of the road, on a sidewalk, somebody froze to death. Okay. And how people were taking pictures and making fun of this person and putting it up on, on social media. Okay, so it's just made up. There's no way that's real. They then went on to say, but that's not the point. The, the point that I'm coming to is they made a big deal that they saw, heard of this on social media. They couldn't find it and how horrible Americans were. Just such a Yeah, rotten, we're, we're terrible. Stay out. Yep. Then they went on to say that fake news, that social media is fake news, and you can't listen to it, which is why you need to listen to us, the Australian Sky News, because we give you the real deal. And we, we wait a minute, did you catch that? What I just said? Yeah. They had a story that they could not validate, could not find. They heard it was on social media, and then they went on to crit criticize social media and fake news. Well, that sounds about the same tier of like uh, mentally challenged propaganda you get out of China these days. Like right now, I, mean, I don't know if, if you've been been paying attention to what's been going on with China and their COVID stuff, but it actually has global ramifications, much like two years ago. And of course, nobody's talking about or paying attention to it because you know we can't criticize them. Um, There's no doubt that those people have a big lock uh, in various components of our media. No doubt about it. Oh, no question. Well, but especially, it's not even our media, but because you're, you're referring to Australia. They have a huge lock on Australia, period. Um, you know, I mean, they've had like official Chinese protocols on what they're going to do there. But anyway, uh, yeah, well, China's, you know, they've started relaxing their COVID policy to a point where I guess the estimation is anywhere between a quarter and a half of the population has COVID right now. That's not good. They're pathetic. 
healthcare system is literally just falling apart. Um, the official numbers, I think, were, I don't know, like 9,000 deaths per day from COVID. And obviously that number is probably way higher. Um, the the number the the thing I saw or heard was um, apparently funeral homes in China won't take people who have died of COVID on their death certificate or whatever their equivalent is. So uh, they're just lying, you know. Oh, you died of heart failure or you died of a uh, anything other than COVID. So the numbers are obviously much higher. It's it's you know it's a com- it's a country with no natural or even vaccination based immunities to all their immunity to all these variants and they're just getting hammered with it. But at the same time, at the same time, they're uh, sending their little uh, army of foreigners out to go and soak up and purchase and send back to China uh, medicine and any other supplies they need. So there's been a ton of stories out in the news and, and social media anecdotes and all kinds of stuff of, you know, basic stuff just disappearing from the store shelves again as if there's a huge problem. Uh, some have even reported this as, oh, COVID's going crazy by, you know, the proxy information of people purchasing all of these things that people would buy because they're sick. And the issue is, is that it's being, it's being, you know, hoovered up effectively by these, uh, these Chinese, um, I don't even know what you'd call them. They're basically like spies. They're like economic spies. Well, they have in uh, all around the world. They have uh, Chinese police officers uh, grabbing people and doing rendition on them. Yep, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. But but with regard to the to COVID, I think it's interesting because then then the also the other elements of this is they're promoting tourism to go to China and all of these things. Meanwhile, they're acting as if COVID's not a problem. And why would why would countries around the world want to stop? Why would they want to? Why would they want to uh, be so racist and, and and test Chinese people coming out of China? I saw there was a flight going to like Milan or something. Half the people on board were positive with COVID coming from China. So the problem is, is they're they're actively out there. The Chinese government is anyway. I based on what I've seen, they are explicitly promoting Chinese people to go travel and go sure. spread it around. Sure, because if we're going to have a problem, everybody needs to have exactly. a problem. It's just, it's a That's joke. a declaration of war. It, we it just, is. We just don't have anybody in, in the office who has the balls to call it the way it is. Well, well the issue is everybody, you know, we're, we're still tied at the hip economically as far as manufacturing and all this stuff goes. But, you know, the problem with China is China is is lacking a lot of foresight. Their government is, their government structure is, is just silly at best. And, you know, generally China's problem is their regional power. And they are going to be mad and they're going to kick and scream and they're going to act like a two-year-old when they don't get the extra candy bar. But they are a regional power and they have no ability to project force throughout the world other than sprinkle money. But the reality is, is once our, ma- our, our manufacturing uh, welfare to them ends, which is it's ending as we speak. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, once that, that welfare check, I think it's what, four or $500 billion a year, in, in trade imbalance in their favor. Once that ends, their economy's done. And they know it, at least elements of China know it. And that makes them really mad because, you know, when you count their population explosion that's happening, explosion of meaning a bubble, 
the Chinese population looks like it may have peaked, what, what did they think, around 2005? And again, that's another one of those things that absolutely nobody is talking about. There are people out there talking about, you know, baby boomers, the, 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 well, here in the United States, I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's around 2025, 20, gosh darn, I wish you could remember the, the year, maybe it's 2035, that the number of boomers who will die compared to those who will be replacing them will be short like about seven, eight, nine hundred thousand. So, you know, you don't have people going into the workforce. We, we have a problem, but China has a humongous problem. Well, yeah, China's a country of, you know, over a billion people, they claim. Yeah, they have a massive problem. They, they have a bigger baby boomer population implosion than basically anybody, at least on a, on a scale basis. Um, and they don't have any of the children to replace them. So... It's it's just it's a baffling problem to deal with, um, you know. What is it? The population in China is expected to half by twenty fifty, I think. So, you know, it's it's they have a massive problem, and you know the reality is is I I my perspective is not going to change on this. They're a regional power, and yeah, China's always always has been, always will be a a, a powerhouse in Asia, no question. Their dreams of being this global superpower um, are are gone, and a lot of it has to do with their government corruption, uh, the the leadership they've chosen. I mean, G G the, the choosing G to run the country is probably the biggest mistake that the CCP ever made. And they, what's funny is they picked him because they thought he was a safe bet. He was politically neutral by comparison to a lot of the people that were in the running because they, they literally did not want to have another Mao. Yeah. And instead they got exactly what they didn't want. Yeah. They picked the Manchurian candidate who was smart enough to play both sides and play the long game. So well, the, yeah, I mean, China's, China's a massive problem, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you that the, the actions that they've taken over the past few months, especially with relation to how they're handling COVID policy now, um, how they're handling uh, Taiwan. What, there, there was another incident that happened in the South China Sea, someplace where uh, they flew a plane within ten feet of one of ours in in international airspace, international waters, over international waters, and basically just tried to ram us. And you know, there's just tons of stuff like this all the time. It's just, it's, it's, it's a good example. It's like. China, uh, China has exhibits a lot of the same things that you see out of North Korea, where when nobody's paying attention to them, they'll lash out to basically get eyes on. For, is for it? No it reason. is. It is such childish and immature behavior, yeah. and 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 that's something that we have to talk about at some point in time. How you have different cultures that are just simply dumb. They have low IQ. They have low EQ. They they they're dumb, and God did not make everybody identical. And you can have all the diversity in the world. But when you've got dumb people, or in the case of Russia and China and North Korea, these people are just, you know, the, the, the population is just a bunch of lemmings following. Well, it's the same problem you have everywhere, right? You know, most of the population is, is, is easily cooed into, into uh, subservience with a minimal amount of, uh, of handouts. And 
or, uh, or, or comfort, comfort in general, you know, the, the latitude to do business or, or you mean whatever like your things are right. I mean like your conservatives down here screaming about this, that and everything else, but don't touch my social security. Oh, I want more money. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They'll, 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 they'll cry about, you know, European style socialism and things like that. And then, you know, you ask them, well, what about your social security? It's like, well, I paid for that. It's like, well, everybody pays for every social system. You're just, you know, you just, it's a, it's, you want to have your cake and eat it too type situation. Okay. Yeah. Good, good luck with that. But yeah, exactly. You know, every, every, every society has these, these, these issues, but in general, China's got this just nasty, I would say, uh, I don't even know what you call it. Brainwashing basically where, you know, everybody thinks the CCP is invincible and the CCP is, you know, when everybody believes it, it's real. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an old joke. I, I, it's not even a joke. It's just, it's just a kind of a fact of reality of, you know, of how governments work that, uh, you know, I, I don't remember if I stole this or made this up myself, but it doesn't matter. It's uh it is what is the something about how basically, you know, every government is just a figment of the population's imagination that if everybody in the population sat back and said, I basically don't trust or respect your authority and I'm not going to do what you say, there's not enough enforcers in any system to keep everybody in line. No, that's the reason why when I was a police officer, we used to talk all the time about the thin blue line. Well, and it's true, right? Yeah. If people stopped respecting the, the police or a military or whatever in China, it's just, it's all one thing. You know, the PLA is the military, it's the police. It's, you know, the, it's just the blob, right? It's the government enforcement blob. And the COVID protests that they had happen in, what, two months ago show that, that the police were overwhelmed and all, uh, out come the military. It's just, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, the, so the, the thing is they, they have to, in order for any real change to happen in China in particular, um, there has to be uh, the, the dashing of this illusion of, of the government's power. I mean, if you've got a country of a billion plus people, Ten percent of them can get really mad and refuse to listen to what the government has to say. Yeah, and that's all it would take to take to topple the entire system, even with the increased police presence and all that stuff. Well, but you're never going to have it happen in a country where you have what what is I mean, the average age in China is going to be nearing you know is is I think in the forties. That's not going to happen in a country with five hundred million baby boomers. We're going to be, you know, drooling and babbling and <laughs> and going into nursing homes and having all the problems that are with that, right? Right. Because half the population is then going to be trying to generate enough economic output to then pay for all of that. Or, um, you know, there could potentially be really ugly things that happen if that doesn't happen. So, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it, you, there's not, there's literally going to be a case of there's not enough time to do a revolution because we're too focused with other problems. And that's, that's the scary part is it's very similar to like when we look at Russia, um, Russia has a similar problem where, you know, okay, Putin goes away. The person that replaces Putin is going to be way worse. And everybody has to be very prepared for that, that this isn't over until it's over. And this, this conflict with Russia they're never going to sit down and, and, and say, okay, it's over, like we're going to change our ways. When, Putin, when, the, when the war in Ukraine is over and they're eventually pushed out of Crimea and, you know, if, if, if they just reach the, the average 
four Russian wars, then they're going to have over a half million people dead, which means we're a fifth of the way there, by the way. And this this nightmare seems to end. Putin's going to get pushed out of power or he's going to get thrown out of a window, something like that. And, you know, they're, somebody whoever's going to replace him is going to be a very, very nasty person. And the reality is, is Russians will tolerate it because that's most leaders in Russian history. Russia is a cold, awful place, and most people that are there are willing to tolerate this crap, and they have been for centuries. Just, I mean, if you learn Russian history, learn Russian literature, it's, it's, it's very obvious that it's a population that's very tolerant of kind of brutalist dictator regimes. There's no other way to talk about it. Um, you know, the problem is what comes after them. Are they going to sit back and go, okay, well, we're going to hit the reset button? Or are they going to blame us for supporting Ukraine, supporting an ally, and then are they going to get mad at us and try and create a conflict with us? I, I, I would say that's a guaranteed problem. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you have to look further down line than the next five or ten years. You know, what, is, what does this look like? I want to t- and Russia's a problem. China, I don't think they are a problem. I think they're a regional problem that you know, could very well evolve into something that is uh, fairly responsible once their population implodes and they have to do a total societal reorganization in order to kind of save face effectively. You know, that, that's, you know, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Vietnam, um, all these countries are U.S. allies and we're basically propping them up to deal with China in the future. Yeah. we don't have to. We shouldn't have to. That's I'm, their problem. I want to tie a couple of these things together because we, I, I mentioned about the um, the weather, and and, and the, the premises the premise of this is that China is just one disaster, one catastrophe, whatever you want to call it, away from f- completely falling apart. And bear with me. So what nobody's talking about <clears throat> is that. The weather we just had, the massive amount of snow up in the New York area, the cold weather that went all the way down to us, we had freezing temperatures for more than a few days. Sure. That's called a cyclone. Okay? Yeah, it happens. I'm going to give you a real basic thing, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all. That's called an Alberta cyclone bomb, B-O-M-B. So for Homeland Security, I said the word bomb. You can target this uh, this podcast. Eight Alberta Alberta cyclone bomb is not unusual. No, they, no. they happen. Here's the other thing. Hurricanes are not unusual. Cyclones are not unusual. They don't occur only over the water. So you look at a when you have this, for example, out in the, uh, the plains and you have this massive weather and massive number of tornadoes that are just going on, those are forms of cyclones that... Again, you have all the offshoots. You have water spouts in, in the Tampa. I've seen you know plenty of times. So the hubris of people to think that you can control the climate when you cannot control a single event. How you can how are you going to control the entire planet in global climate? Well, you can't. You can yeah. have some influence on it, maybe. And so what I'm going with is that all the people that talk about this, and I'm going to stretch it and put my neck over the over the rail, it's all about government control over people. Yeah, it's all about that. And I don't care what I don't care what you or anybody else says. These are communists. If you really understand what political theory is all about, these people are absolute 
communist. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So let's go back to China. Can you imagine if the climate movement? Definitely. I mean, the climate movement is is hilarious because the more you dig into it, the more you realize. I don't I don't have the numbers or any of that stuff in front of me, but I have it all saved in my research on Russia and Ukraine and this whole this whole mess over the past almost year now. There's hundreds of millions of dollars from current modern day Russia, not like some Soviet era crap that was going on, like current within the past couple of years hundreds of millions of dollars per year that was spent on propping up these organizations. And it's funny that the, you dig into, you know, these more extreme organizations like the ones they have in Europe, the climate rebellion and uh, what's, what's the pink hat people? Uh, code pink, code pink, those people. I mean, that might as well just be code red, like literal communists right yep. there. Um, yeah. There's tons of these people all over the place. And, and it'll be interesting to see going forward uh, as, you know, maybe their their political sponsorship, let's call it, uh, fades away or, or maybe it increases. I don't know. But yeah, no, you're, you're not you're not joking about that. That is a that is a severe uh, infiltration problem. And somebody needs to get an exterminator for some of these people. Well, again, going back to when I was in university and uh I'm walking down Lakeshore Drive, and I put my hand on my uh, my upper lip because I was it was freezing, and uh, my my mustache, <laughs> mustache started coming off. I'm melting, <laughs> but those were the years. I believe it was Jane Bryant who was the mayor in Chicago, and uh, guess what? One term mayor, which was very unusual. I believe this was after Dale. I have to kind of think about it. Could have been Washington. But they had a ton of snow. It was cold. And the people said, you're done. You're out of here. Now, sure. the point to this is, look at the how diff people respond differently. You have the French, who every single year when they have a heat wave, they're always talking about the old people dying in their house. Because they, they, yep. they just don't, they walk away from it. Now, pull all this together. The problem you have is, what if China has the equivalent of an Alberta cyclone bomb and it just i mean it's nasty cold deep then they got the covid and they got everything well, but then, then and then the big dam breaks down the breaks well, yeah well if that happened it'd be over but but yeah i mean it, in china this this is the same type all if you want to know how china would react just look at how they've reacted with covid first they have covid it's they blame it on everybody else it's a it's a it's a biological terrorism by the united states oh they're 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 trying to kill us then it's um, then, you know, oh, they've conquered COVID magically. You know, there's no COVID problems. Then they point out everybody else's problem. Uh, and, and if you want proof of this, go on and look up Chinese diplomats on Twitter. There's like four or five of them that are fairly prominent. And just look at their tweets over the past year. They're hilarious. Um, that, so then, they, then they'll point out about how, you know, oh, we're not reporting our data properly and we have all of these issues and COVID is ravaging the country and it's going to, it's going to destroy America and you know, all these terrible things about how we don't care about certain groups of people because they're getting COVID more, you know, America doesn't care about old people or doesn't care about, uh, you know, Hispanic people or black people or something, right? Because they have more COVID than other people, according to some statistic that they cite. And usually their stats are just made up propaganda anyways and you know, then then uh, then the rest of the world is being irresponsible because we're you know getting rid of lockdowns and we're getting rid of travel restrictions and all these things. To now, 
oh no, you need to come to China because uh, travel is great and uh, uh, they want to reinvigorate their tourism and, and their, their big Chinese PR machine is going. And now we're all terrible and we're racist or something because we don't want a billion Chinese COVID patients to come wandering around traveling all over the place. So let's talk so about... it's funny because you can see it's just like, it's this thing, now it's that thing. It's this thing, now it's that thing. They have no shame. They'll just, they'll, they'll take any side of any position for a, a momentary PR win. It's, it's very funny. But, but do go online and look at like these, uh, some of these uh, Chinese Twitter accounts. And the Twitter accounts are especially ironic because they're on Twitter, despite utilizing Twitter in China is illegal. So it's blocked by the great Chinese firewall. In order but, there to are, but their army is online trying to influence us and everything well, else. But their diplomats are too. Yep. So it's illegal, but, you know, they're on, they're on social media basically just doing propaganda. There's no other way about that one. Yeah, real quickly, I, I want to say that Michael Belendick was the uh, mayor when uh, we had the cold snap. Uh, he was in between 76 and 79. He took over when uh, Richard Daly left office back in 76. And then Jane came in 79 to 83. And I remember she had the big snowfall. I mentioned Harold Washington. Harold uh, died in office, and he was only in there for um, 83 to 87. And then a fellow by David Orr came in as acting mayor. Um, and then back in 89, Richard Daly, uh, John, uh, uh, the son of uh, Richard Daly, the famous one, Richard J. Daly, came in. So Chicago's had some interesting things, and, and you know, there's, there's a level of patience. They, uh, they have patience. You can kill one another in some of these, uh, these places. That, that's no big deal. So that's every day. But if the cold is coming and if the garbage ain't being picked up, you know, that, that's, that's, we can't have that. People are weird. There's no doubt about it. As a friend of ours said, people, they're the worst. Yeah, the, 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 the weather thing is interesting, though, because people are acting as if, uh, well, you mentioned Texas earlier, right? So, oh, Texas is supposed to, you know, fall down. And, and you know, the reality is, is they didn't fall down because they properly planned out their infrastructure. They fixed the issues they had. Their, their silly uh, energy market issues that they had a couple of years ago that caused the power outages and all these things. They were resolved, at least to a reasonable enough degree, that they didn't have uh, the same issues that they had a couple of years ago. But, you know, I assume, I haven't done any research, but I'm going to assume that the construction standards of Texas, which are pretty low, um, they're about as low as South Florida, um, you know, I, I'm going to assume that they had pipes burst and the standard stuff that they had a couple of yeah, years but, ago. Yeah, but the power grid held, there despite... Go way beyond anything they've ever experienced. The peak expectations were way beyond their maximum anticipation, and it held. So Because they properly planned for it, where last time a bunch of basically morons in certain sectors of, of that power system didn't do their jobs, and it fell down. Yeah, so. in, in 2021, they had that storm, and the maximum uh, power usage was they can track this stuff 69,871 megawatts it was just blowing it out now everybody likes to laugh at texas i'm a native of texas by the way so big d little a double l a s and if you don't like it there's a word that ends with a, an a and an s that you can go shove it the bottom line is texas fixed it they hit 74,000 megawatts on that that cold friday 
and they still had capacity. Now, you show me another state that can go out there and in one year take a problem, fix it, fix it to the maximum, and then the next year it blows past it. You ain't going to see that in California, and you're not going to see it in New York. No, no not at all. But they always like to make fun of those of us who know how to do no. things. I'm sorry. It's not, about, it's not about knowing <clears throat> how to do things. It's that you failed, so it's funny. You know, it's no different than, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, <laughs> unfortunately, most, most Americans enjoy, or most people in the world in general, enjoy a little schadenfreude, especially among the uh, groups of people that have rivalries. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody can't help but laugh when people fall down when they're in professional sports or hurt themselves or, you know, the, the professional bicyclist that's, uh, you know, doing the Tour de France or whatever mm-hmm. that yeah. slams into a light pole or something. Like, you can't help yourself. It's just funny. But, boy, I tell you what, they are coming to Florida. If you oh – I, I drive back and forth a lot to Tampa, and I'm in Orlando and Jacksonville. My God, the interstates here are jammed. And guess what we're getting, buddy? We're getting a Bucky's. Oh, boy. <laughs> If you aren't familiar with what Bucky's is, you need to you need to go online and uh, look it up. And they are a mega center, and we've got one coming in just north of our office here, on Interstate 75 at uh, the 40, the new upcoming 49th Street overpass. That'll basically uh, service the uh, FedEx and Chewy, and just a massive industrial center that they've built here. And uh, kind of interesting when a Bucky's comes, you know. That's a that's just something. That's all there is to it. Well, it's just kind of logical for the area, you know. You look at the distance between other things. They they don't they don't build a ton of them close to each other. So they build yeah. them so they can service cars with gas, and you kind of go Bucky's to Bucky's to Bucky's on your travels. Well, exactly. Yeah, they, I think the closest I've seen them is about ninety miles away. So they're, you know, they, they're not building. They're not going to put one in every corner. Of course, that would be a problem. They're like what thirty five acre. Giant, yeah, there is 39.53 acres. Speaking of, of keeping current, uh, Texas kept current, they fixed their problems. Um, Southwest Airlines got some real problems, and I was listening to a podcast, they were talking that they have not upgraded their, their hardware and software in so long that it is well known that the union, the pilots' union, has been screaming for a couple of years that they have to reboot the entire computer system every day. It, 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 having a crash is not unusual. Now, dude, you're my tech guy. Well, yeah, the, the airline industry in, in the United States in general is screwed. Um, I haven't looked at the, the, the specifics in a long time, but my understanding of the entire industry is they are horribly, horribly horribly screwed there's no other way to say it they they are their future is bad um the liabilities that that these companies have they don't own hardly anything their revenues are trash um with companies like amazon and and others building alternative logistics networks that don't rely on the supplemental income that they used to drag on which is moving packages and things like that i don't think people know that I'm convinced people don't know no, that. Nobody knows that. So l- let's talk about that for real quick. During the COVID lockdown and everything else, these airlines, a lot of them were surviving. 
by literally filling the underbelly, not with luggage, but with packages. And if you sat back and thought about it, we didn't have a problem getting things. Uh, we had a problem getting things from overseas, but domestically, if something was at an Amazon shop in, uh, in uh, Tacoma, we could get it in Tampa pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, it might have a little problem with drivers and, and sort of things, but uh, yeah, you could get it. Then there were pictures of literally airplanes, uh, commercial, where they were, <laughs> you might have two people flying, which I've had that happen more than a couple of times now. Um, Can't say I've had that happen. Yeah, your mom and I had that happen. We were literally the only two people on a plane. <laughs> it's like, uh, it was, we did that one time in a, in a uh, movie. We also walked out of it. Um, but they start putting packages in the uh, passenger compartments and, you know, making sure the loads were just right. It was just jammed. They saw lots, sure. of, lots of that. Well, now what do you got? Uh, the U.S. Postal Service used to deliver a lot of uh, last mile packages for Amazon. And well, now. Yeah, they used to do a ton of that. Yeah, not, not so anymore. Nope. Uh, UPS, FedEx, you know, because Amazon's got uh, their, their flights. And there's just a lot of things that are going on that, you know, you you got to sit down and dig into the details. And there's a lot of you out there who are, uh, you know, passive investors, just buy an index and throw your hands in. Well, that, how, I hope that, how did that work out for you last year? I hope that was fine. <clears throat> but the other thing is you got to do your research. It's not just quantitative analysis. It's the, the qualitative. And you got to sit down and do things like, okay, what's the propaganda coming out of China? What's the propaganda coming out of the NBA? What's propaganda coming out of the news organizations here domestically? And then what's the propaganda coming out of uh, people like uh, Budig or whatever his name is who wants to take over as uh, the head of uh, Southwest Airlines, our, our secretary of transportation, the guy that was gay. I think he's gay. And Buddha Judge, is that, that his name? That's how you say it. Okay, Buddha Judge. Well, they've already been floating ideas at uh, the Department of Transportation, and he in particular will take over Southwestern Airlines. They want to they nationalize it. So, um, yeah, communism, yeah, right. It's just insane. Well, the, well, so, yeah, I mean, as far as the airlines go, they're, they're massively over-levered. It's, it's terrible. The over-leveraged? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's t- they, and, you know, they, the unions have them over a barrel. They, they require a constant stream of, of new planes and, and stuff. I mean, the entire business is the problem. They need pilots, too. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's the issue is they don't pay crap. So, I mean, I, even if I had the skills, I wouldn't be a pilot. Like, go make 70 grand a year to basically be on call 24 hours a day. The the accommodations, the amenities, the stress. Like, it's just, it's not a good job for the pay anymore. It, and, and it used be, to be, but, you know, the unions broke them and, you know, they can't do it anymore. It's and and to is. be very blunt, we had a, we have a former client who was dumber than a sack of rocks and became a pilot for a, a major airline. And it's just, your mother and I used to say, hell no, we're not flying that airline. So, you know, the issue with the airlines is, is, is it's come down to its commodity pricing with immense capital requirements. And when you get businesses that are like that, it's, and they're not managed efficiently by very, very smart people. Uh, you've got serious problems. I mean, just look at the revenue for some of these companies. I mean, was it so? We were talking about Southwest, right? Yeah. So here we go. Southwest Airlines. Um, you know, revenue of fifteen billion dollars. Um, you know, net income they say about nine hundred seventy-seven million. 
you got a company that is responsible for, you know, how many how many tens of millions was this? Uh, Sixty six thousand employees, four thousand departures a day during peak travel season. You know, estimate. Yeah, you know, you can see really quickly. This is a this is a massive operation, right? Mm-hmm. And on paper, it looks like they actually, at least as of twenty twenty one, they had fairly decent revenues and fairly decent income. But that's not enough, obviously. How, how whatever management's doing, it's not enough. Um, you know, they have seven hundred seventy nine planes. Well, I can tell you, each one of those planes. <laughs> Each one of those planes costs about $200 million a piece when you count the maintenance and the acquisition costs and the insurance and all that, the hangering and all that stuff. It costs about $200 million probably. Um, stuff's expensive. That means that even on a net profit of what they've got going on and you take a nice discount, they can only afford a couple new planes a year if they do nothing else with that profit, Right. Yep, that's why they're that's why they're leasing them and 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 um, yeah. So you know the thing is, you just start looking at that. It's like, how does a company that you know moves around? I don't see an estimate here of how many people per year. You know, millions of people per year on very expensive uh, aircraft. I don't really see how you can do much with fifteen billion dollars in revenue. No, when it, you know that's you know on the low end is going to be like maybe six or seven planes if you really optimize it. You know I mean? It's just uh, six, yeah, six or seven billion. I mean, six or seven planes on a billion in, in profits. It's just, it's silly to me. I, I don't, I don't see how all these companies stay in business in, in the long term. Um, it's a high wire, thin margin uh, business. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, we are poised to have by 2032, so in another nine years, a shortage as projected to be 68,000 pilots short of what is needed. Currently, the sh- shortage just here in the U.S. is around 3,000 and is projected to be 18,000 uh, by 2032. And that's just not that long from now. Right now, there's in Europe, there's a shortage of about 1,000. You've got another 19,000 in 10 years. You might be saying, oh, wait a minute, 68,000 shortage. Uh, we've got 18,000, 19,000. So let's see, 9, 18, 27, 36, 37,000. That doesn't add up. There's more places than Europe and the U.S. And guess what? Even in places like India, uh, Pakistan, uh, the Philippines, in Ching uh, Chong, China, everywhere else, people are, people are flying. And, uh, oh, there's, there's no, there's no slowdown in travel. The issue is that there's not, there's not the revenue in the airline business given the cost of operating it. Mm -hmm. And people are only willing to tolerate. So the prices of so high before they just stop traveling. Um, you know, just kind of doing a quick, uh, quick browse here. I mean, United, for example, you know, they have revenues of 24 billion. It's like, okay, so they're, they've, they obviously are able to generate an additional ten billion dollars a year in, in income, roughly, right? Right. Or revenues, anyway. Um, but yeah, they lost two billion dollars last year, and the total equity in the company is only five billion. So it's not adding it's, up. It's you know, <laughs> how do you run a business long term like that? We well, don't. Um, so you know, what's comical is Southwest. 
just on its surface, looks like it's a company that actually is in a much better position than any of these others. And they're the one people are talking about nationalizing because of their technology issues. Like, yeah, good luck. Things are not looking good. So in uh, at the end of uh, 2022, okay, so we just ended it, the 12 top airline carriers that are out there, you've got between about, oh, 12, 13,000 positions. Okay, very simple. In 2021, that was down to 5,400. They had a hiring freeze. They laid people off. People weren't traveling. COVID, COVID, pants on fire. And now you got to get these people back. Well, screw you. I'll, I'll go fly for UPS. I'll go fly for the uh, the postal service. I'll fly for uh, Amazon. Yeah. And but the thing is, like Amazon and all these other companies, they don't actually own their planes either. They're they're leasing them. They have other they have lease agreements with these other companies. It's like it's a whole shell game. <laughs> Yeah, and I won't I won't get into that right. I want to finish one thing. We can talk about limited partnerships and, and uh, equipment limited partnerships. There are a lot of those out there, which I do not want to get involved in in any way, shape, or form. But now we got uh, well, eyebrows are being raised at the signing bonus uh, for your major airlines. Signing bonus. So you get out of a pilot school, you got just enough uh, hours to be uh, half-ass competent in a plane that basically flies itself. And if it goes wrong, you hopefully this guy read the book. But signing bonuses of seventy-five to hundred thousand dollars. Okay, and what's the pay again? Well, the pay I don't have that off okay. the top of my head, but uh, I think it varies. I think you're basically getting a signing bonus for about what you make. So, yeah, I mean that wouldn't surprise me. It's yeah, kind of, it's kind of like the military during the surge. Hey, here's 70 grand. It's like, what are we going to make? 50. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give, sign your soul over. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, you look at American Airlines, you know, American Airlines only has a market cap of 8 billion. They, uh, revenues 13. Uh, let's see. They actually made some money. Who would have thought? So, you know, the thing is, yeah, I, I guess that's a, that's a quarterly number, but anyway, point is, is just that, you know, these companies, um, they just don't have, they just don't generate as much money as you would think. Uh, yeah, so American Airlines, let's see, they did not make money. They lost $2 billion. So that's cool. Uh, revenue of 30. And uh, yeah. So the thing is, you know, you look at all these airlines in general, they're not doing great. They're not doing good at all. And yeah, they have some very substantial headwinds. And the fact that their technology failed them and fell down is not a surprising story because obviously there's been tons of stories over the past, I don't know, maybe two, two decades or so, um, especially since uh, 9-11, you know, putting different passenger codes for different things on tickets and messing stuff up. Um, obviously, you have the website security issues some of these airlines have had over the years have been comical. And it just comes down to the fact that a lot of their, not that their technology people are bad, but they just don't allocate the money necessary to go in and, and redo systems that have been in operation since the 50s and the 60s. It's just, you know, I, I can't recall what it is, but at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine, uh, it's called amplification of the conflict this year, or this past year, um, there was an interesting... Uh, series of uh, videos and, and articles I read about how the U.S. was handicapping Russia's ability to fly internationally and how it didn't require much because all they did was they just removed them from these uh, international booking systems. 
that they use for air, for planes. Well, I did some research on these things, and it's like, holy crap, these things are no joke. Most of them are over 50 years old. So, you know, it's just systems that everybody just kind of relies on and doesn't think about until, you know, in this case, Southwest, you know, you know what hits the fan and everybody goes running around screaming, oh, you should have known, you should have known. It's like, well, in, in, in the airline business in particular, None of this is surprising. I mean, it's it's a no. like you said, it's a low margin, high wire business. Where but I would encourage Southwest to not hire Salesforce to fix things unless you want everything. I don't know that. I'm, no, I'm, I'm dead yeah. serious. Don't hire Salesforce. Salesforce and, uh, has a current market capitalization of about 130 billion dollars. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 130 billion. It does. It's 83rd on the list of uh, companies in terms of market capitalization, but United Airlines, right? I mean, that's a big operation. Yeah. Yeah. Market capitalization just above 12 billion. That gives you context there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it the airline business. Again, I I I feel like I'm just kind of rambling at this point, but it is it is hard to understand how poorly capitalized the businesses now it's i don't know the history of it and i probably will end up doing some deep research on it just because i'm curious but it sounds to me like it's a business that has just been raided over and over and over by i don't know pensions and profiteers yeah well here's the thing the offshoot of this uh from an investment standpoint time to fly private Private jets and uh, private travel, uh, fractional shares, all of that booming like never before. So last year uh, we had, well, was it last year? Yeah, last year altogether is about 17, 18% increase in private flying. So I get it. A lot of people can't afford it. I get it. It's, it's expensive. But uh, if you look at the numbers, if you we did this, a family of five. Well, if you're used to flying first class, it, and, you're private. Flying, and you're flying yeah. domestically, yeah. and especially if it's business where you're, it's you know sales teams and stuff like that, it very rapidly starts to make sense. Yep. Especially you don't, when you can avoid you know connections and all the weird stuff. You know, if you're in a place like where we're at, Ocala, we don't have any direct commercial flights here, but you can get a private plane from pretty much anywhere. I get a kick. I tell I tell people that you know we're we're one mile from the interstate, one mile from the airport, and our airport's an international airport, but we do not have commercial service. And like, well, why are you there? Uh, private. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you know, a good example is like if you're going to go from here to like Nashville, for example. Nashville seems like a fairly reasonable like a uh, hub. Yeah. In, in this in the in the south here, southeast. I I haven't looked at it in a while. I don't even know what. What you'd have to do to get there? I think you'd have to fly to Atlanta or South Carolina and then connect over. So you have to do like two regional hoppers. There's there's nothing direct. So there's lots of stuff like that that you know. Like I said, especially with when it's corporate travel and and you're talking about sales teams and stuff like that flying around. Yeah, I can totally see where you know the economics of private planes become very reasonable, uh, especially when if there's an increase in volume and and the costs are coming down a little bit, probably. Yeah, no, the costs are coming down. There's no doubt about that. We know that. But the, but just the expansion of service, I mean, we're, we're talking 7 10 12% a year. And, yeah, you know. Solid revenue growth. Exactly. Um, now, it is unusual. <laughs> you know, you can spend $40,000 to travel from 
floor. Well, we, we can. You can spend 40 to go from Tampa or, say, Ocala to uh, Los Angeles, Newport Beach, uh, the, the uh, John Wayne, wh- wherever. It doesn't make any difference. Um, the hourly rates are not cheap. A, a small jet, four to six passengers, you know, anywhere from four to 6000 an hour. Um, if you have a medium-sized jet, six to nine passengers, eh, six to 10000 and then we have a you know a big boy and where you're getting up to 20 people and then you're talking 10 to 20,000 dollars an hour that's that's not cheap but there are also uh, deals that you can find if you're willing to uh, fly basically well we've got an opening hop on literally it sounds silly but you can fly for 100 bucks in some places cuz they're just deadheading so it's yeah. like anything's better than nothing come on board you can do your thing absolutely yeah and so there's a lot of those things that are out there um if you're retired and you know you're concerned about uh um you know covid and things like that you can take what's called a third charter option you're booking uh, by the seat small commuter planes um you know you're you're <laughs> you're flying back by the toilet, but uh, for a hundred bucks and uh, you know, you save yourself a couple thousand dollars on a couple hour flight and this might be worth it. Um, we haven't done that, but um, you can fly, for example, from Vegas to Burbank uh, normally costs uh, like two grand. You can sometimes get it for a hundred bucks. I just, you know, we're repositioning planes. It's the middle of the night, you know, well, put five people on, make sure. 500 bucks, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, that's the thing is taking advantage of, the private plane industry, uh, there's a lot of the cost built in there is the people that, you know, you're, you want to go from, you know, from A to Z, right? Yep. But a plane has to get to you to go to be able to go from A to Z. Right. So there's, you know, there's there's other logistics involved where the regular airline industry is able to offer what they offer because, you know, they have their fixed points. They have their, they have their terminals at the different airports that are or that they can rely on. So they know that this plane is going to fly back and forth every, you know, 36 hours all year long. And they know, you know, the logistics of that. So they can sell tickets around, they can do stuff where the private industry is, is quite a bit different. So there's, you know, a lot of areas for efficiencies to be thrown in like that, where the regular airline industry, no way. Yeah. I mean, like if we want to get to our ranch up in Idaho, we, we've got to fly, you know, we have to go to Tampa or you don't want to go to Gainesville. You go to Tampa and you got to go to, who are we? I guess you go to Denver and then we eventually go to Boise and then, yeah. but we can also take a plane from Ocala and, and land uh, in uh, just outside Ketchum, well in Ketchum and we have a direct flight. Yeah. Now here's the thing, but what if we caught a flight, um, you know, did a hopper and we were moving and well, we're not going to go to we're not going to go to Ketchum. We're going to go to Boise. Okay, rent a car, and you know we've got a, an hour plus drive, and we're 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 home. Point being is, that's just what airlines do, anyways. You're never going to go. There's no, there's no real. Well, there is, there is commercial flight to uh, Ketchum, but the point being is that, uh, you know, d- damn sure isn't to where we are. <laughs> so, no. No. No, it's it's a very interesting business, but yeah, there's very poorly capitalized at this point in time, and their future is extremely uncertain, to say the least. Well, we have been yakking for about an hour. We'll get this cleaned up. Sunday, January first, we have we do have a birthday to got to celebrate. Why is that? Charlie Munger was Charlie born the same day as my dad. Apparently, happy birthday, Charlie! Happy birthday to my dad. You know, Dad would be a hundred and eight. Time flies. Time flies. He was a hell of a guy, wasn't he? Yes, he was. 
Even when he was terminally ill and dying, he never complained. Never once. Had cancer, was eaten up, never complained. Thanked everybody for this, everything they were doing for him, and he did it his way. He was like a Frank Sinatra. I ought to play that song. In fact, I think I'll do that. We'll wrap this up. Son, what do you got? Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, nothing that we can get through quickly, so we'll just leave it there. We'll do these a little do bit our, more. Do our obligatory uh, vestment God awareness. A happy birthday there, and we'll get out of here. We're out of here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all, on behalf of myself and my son, two Pauls and a pod. This is the Paul Truesdale Podcast. Tippecanoe, Tyler 2. Adios. I did what I had to do saw it through without exemption I planned each charted course each careful step along the byway and more much more than this I did it my I'm sure you knew When I bit off More than I could chew But through it all When there was doubt I ate it up And spit it out I faced it all And I stood tall And did it The Paul Truesdell Podcast is sponsored in part by Fixed Cost Financial, a registered investment advisor. Fixed Cost Financial, where investing is done right. Visit FixedCostFinancial.com, that's FixedCostFinancial.com. The Paul Truesdell Podcast is also sponsored in part by Lie Die Today. Intelligently protecting your most precious assets. Visit LieDie.today, that's LieDie.today, you'll be glad you did. The Paul Truesdale Podcast is also sponsored in part by the estate planning, elder law, and asset protection planning law firm of attorney Kelly and Truesdale. Visit truesdale.net, that's truesdale.net for more information. The Paul Truesdale Podcast website is paultruesdale.com, that's paultruesdale.com.
like to start with a list of people I can do without. A proctologist with poor depth perception. Any woman whose hobby is breastfeeding zoo animals. A cross-eyed nun with a bullwhip and a bottle of gin. A waitress with a visible infection on her serving hand. And any man whose arm hair completely covers his wristwatch. Okay, that's enough of that. Soon you'll be able to walk into your Admiral dealer's store and confidently buy the style radio or radio phonograph you want. The selection of Admiral radios will be complete. There'll be radio phonographs with the famous Admiral exclusive features. Slide away that makes loading and unloading your record changer so easy. And the foolproof Admiral automatic record changer. There'll be consoles and table models and newly designed cabinets of fine woods and modern plastics. There'll be farm sets and portables in many styles and sizes including the popular Admiral Bantam, the camera-type radio that operates on alternating current, direct current, or self-contained batteries. There will be new electronic refinements and AM, FM, and shortwave reception. And now about television. Admiral's extensive research assures television receivers with true Admiral quality. So, whatever you want in radio, you'll find it in an Admiral, America's smart set. You can get a very good idea of what Admiral will offer if you're right for a free copy of the new full-colored booklet entitled It's a Promise from Admiral. Just write your name and address on a penny postcard and mail it to Admiral in care of this radio station. That's all. Just your name and address mailed to Admiral at this station. Mr. Madison... What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but uh, you remain one. People got no respect for the brain dead?
If you sell $10,000 worth of this stock, I will personally give you, and I hope it happens. <laughs> Hello, John, how are you doing today? You mailed in my company a postcard a few weeks back requesting information on penny stocks that had huge upside potential with very little downside risk. Does that ring a bell? Okay, great. Well, reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. You got a minute? Name of the company, Aerotine International. It is a cutting-edge, high-tech firm out of the Midwest awaiting imminent patent approval on a next generation of radar detectors that have both huge military and civilian applications. Now, right now, John, the stock trades over the counter at 10 cents a share. And by the way, John, our analysts indicate it could go a heck of a lot higher than that. Your profit on a mere $6,000 investment would be upwards of $60,000. Jesus, that's my mortgage, man. Exactly, you could pay off your mortgage. This stock will pay off my house. John, one thing I can promise you, even in this market, is that I never ask my clients to judge me on my winners. I ask them to judge me on my losers because I have so few. And in the case of Aerotime, based on every technical factor out there, John, we are looking at a grand slam home run. Four thousand, that'd be forty thousand shares, John. Let me lock in that trade right now and get back to you with my secretary with an exact confirmation. Sound good, John? Good. Great. Hey John, thank you for your vote of confidence and welcome to the Investor Center. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye.